with the voice of triumph in the building. Hallelujah. How many are glad to be in the presence of God today? God is moving in the building. Can you give him a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Jesus from the mountain, Jesus. 
I just want to speak the name. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Over all fear. Over fear and all anxiety. To every soul, to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. Can we say that again? I just want to speak the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Over fear and all anxiety. Over fear and all anxiety. To every soul that's held captive by depression. To every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. Can we pray? God, we thank you in this place. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you because we only exist because of your existence. It's in you that we move, we breathe, and we have our being. And for that reason, we give you the praise and we give you the honor and the glory. We lift our hands to give you glory. We lift our hearts to give you praise. Lord, speak your servants, listen in the name of Jesus. Thank you for keeping us in this place. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your majesty. And Lord, I pray right now that you release every bit of distraction in the name of Jesus, that those who have come into this place and space, that those who are watching us online, God, will hear your word, that they won't hear me, but they will hear you, God. Speak, your servants listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise in the place. Can you give him a little bit more? Come on and praise the Lord in this building. Hallelujah. We're thankful to God for bringing us back into this place, into this space. Thankful to all the volunteers that work to make things happen. I know it's snowing and they were expecting two to four inches of snow. Uh, we didn't know how many people would be able to come or how many people would be here, but we prepared for those people. Thank you to those who come and do parking lot duty, to those who are picking up people. We're very grateful to all of you, our father's children, who show up and who have come into the building. I'm glad to see that some people love the Lord and they're going to come no matter what the snow. We're grateful for those who couldn't make it, but you're watching us online. We're so grateful to have you in this place and space. A lot of people are out, but we're so grateful for those of you who have come. If you could stand with us, we're going to have a word from the Lord. How many are you excited and ready for the word today? Amen. 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 Excited to have Sister Friend. That's what I'm talking about. Go ahead and give them a praise in the building. Excited to have Sister Fran's family there uh, with us, and I hear so much about them. Sister Fran loves her family. She talks about them, and I'm glad to actually be able to see them. Uh, and so glad to have you here and hope this will, won't be the last time we're, you're welcome here anytime. Will you guys give them a hand and let them know how much they are welcome. There is a word from the Lord. Uh, we are in a series called what? Cycles. Cycles. This, this is a series of, uh, of liberation. It's a series to keep us from going through the same old patterns to keep us going through the same old directions. I know it's in, in the schedule. Guys, can you pull up uh, the, uh, the easy worship quote we have there? Uh, it's blue on the screen. 
uh, back there. I want you to read this with us. I'm going to have us read this until we get this, because this is important for us to know. This is important for us to get so that we not just show up in the church on Sunday morning and leave just like we came. It's important for this to be a catalyst for change. How many want something new in 2023 in your life? Hallelujah. Let's read it together. What does it say? Life is a series of decisions. Our decisions denote our direction. And if not diverted, our decisions will divulge our destiny. We'll say that, say that one more time. There's a lot of D's in there. And, and I did that on purpose. I used alliteration to help us learn it. And hopefully by the end of this series, we'll have this in our mind and we'll live by this. Everybody, let's say it one more time. Life is a series of decisions. Our decisions denote our direction. And if not diverted, our decisions will divulge our destiny, which means that if you are not happy in the place and space in which you are in in life, all you have to do is reverse engineer your life and follow your steps. Because wherever you are, you are there because of the steps and the decisions that you made. Well, some things happened to me, Pastor, that I didn't intend for them to happen to me. I know those things happen that are beyond our control, but I am a firm believer of this saying that life Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. Adversity happens to us in all of our lives, but the key is how do we respond to that uh, adversity? Do we allow it to make us a victim or to make us a victor? And there is a word from the Lord that is going to help make us victorious this morning. You guys excited? excited. Amen. Oh, brother Bob, my men are excited. Is everybody excited? Hallelujah. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 37. Uh, if when you have it, you can say amen if you'd like. If you don't have it, you can look on your digital devices, but we have it on the screen for everybody. Luke chapter 37, uh, 6, verse 37 through 42. It's already in that schedule uh, as they get it pulled up. Um, it's right beneath there. Uh, for our media team. There they go. Six chapter, uh, chapter six, verse 37 through 42. Let's read it together. What does it say? Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. From this scripture, other related scriptures and the aid of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk to you about this subject this morning in plain sight in plain sight. You may be seated in the buildings. Lord, speak your servants, listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Today, as we get 
and to this series of cycles. And we're trying to recognize, both recognize and change those things and destructive behavior patterns in our life that don't uh, allow us to live to the full capacity that God has given us. For Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I come that you have life and have it uh, more abundantly. I come that you have Zoe. And what that word life means right there, and when he's talking about abundance, he's saying, I want you to have life to the full till it overflows. I've come to tell you that many people are alive, but they're not really living. What do you mean, Pastor? I come to tell you that did you not know that the average lifespan of Americans is going up week by week and day by day? Even with COVID, people are expected to live a long time well into their 90s and some to be centurions going into their hundreds. But the truth of the matter is many people will live to 100 years old but die at 40. What do you mean? They'll be alive, their heart will be beating, but from 40 through the rest of their life, they're stuck in the same old cycles, repeating the same old thing. Married for 50 years, but never happy, always having the same old arguments, eating the same old food, doing the same old thing, wearing the same old clothes, following the same old patterns and the same old routines and never ever really living the life that God has called them to live because your father is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. He wants us to have life and he wants us to live it to the fullest of our ability. So other people in other parts of the world, that may mean another thing. Happiness may mean another thing. Happiness does not always have to mean that you have a three-story house on a hill. You can be happy in a hut, but wherever you are, you should be determined to live life to the fullest of what God has allowed you to live. And today I want to set you free from some things because these are things we want to talk about, about how to see clearly and fix some things in our life that are going unnoticed, but yet they're in plain sight. Things that are often hiding in plain sight. I have made the decision to get this little thing off of Amazon. And the reason I get the thing off of Amazon is because I have three women in my house. And all three are very helpful. And sometimes it's my fault. And when I leave church, they'll pick up this and they'll pick up these things. And I can't seem to ever find anything. But the one thing I always seem to lose, whether it's their fault or my fault, is my keys. I lose my keys so much that for my birthday they even bought me a little thing to hold all my stuff in my office and there's a little spot for my keys but do you not know I will put it on the little spot and still ask somebody where is my keys where are my keys I can't find my keys when I'm trying to get somewhere and, and it always makes me mad because after I've searched all over the house I did that the other day brother Bob I ran all over the house looking for my keys and after about 10 minutes thought about the the organizer that they had given me and I was sitting right there asking where are my keys and they were right there in plain I had the keys to open up what I needed to open up. I had the keys that would open up my car and give me mobility to the place to which I was trying to get. I had keys that were going to help me get where I needed to go. And I was sitting there confused, not realizing that what I needed to make the journey was right there in front of me the whole time. 
Why is that important for us to know? Because many of us are traveling through life listlessly, trying to make life on our own, and God has given us keys to his kingdom called the word of God and the Bible. And many times we're worried about situations and trouble in our life and trying to make things better in our marriage and our home with our children, how to raise families in a godly way to make sure that our children are productive in society. But most times, if you look for our Bible, even on our cell phone, you would find out that it's very rarely open. We're walking around lost, looking for something that will open pathways for us. And our Bible is hidden right in plain sight. The answers to everything you need in life. It's good to read other books. I'm on a journey to read a book a month. Do you not realize if you can read a book a month, if you just read 10 pages a day, you'll get at least one book a month if you choose a nice size book. And that's something that I want to do. Books are great. Helping yourself and becoming a better person is great. But at the end of the day, opening your Bible and getting the pages of the Bible that will change your life is more precious than anything. And we see Jesus this morning giving us some principles this morning. He's giving us some statements this morning that many of us have looked at and they have gone unnoticed because when we quote these passages, they are very often quoted passages, but we put them in places that they really do not belong. We use this all the time. We say, judge not and you will not be judged. We skip the rest of the scripture because we're not looking at the scripture to change our lives. We are looking at the scripture as a shield and a deflection for us to live a mundane, raggedy, unholy life. And when people call us out on it, the first thing we say is, judge not. Don't judge me. How many times has our culture said, don't judge me? Who are you to judge me? Don't judge me. Don't we do that? Have you ever done that before? You should not judge. And somebody and somebody calls you out on something and, and you start saying you should not judge. And, and, and we use that scripture all the time. And then we use Luke 6 and 38, but we only use it during offering time, Pastor Ernie. Why do we do that? Because we say give and it shall be given unto you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And most times as we use those things as deflection and invitations for a formula of prosperity, we negate to look at the entire text. Because if you don't look at the entire text, a text out of context is really a con. In other words, that you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say when you take it out of context. So in order to understand the context, we must first look at the pretext. Everyone say pretext. The pretext means I need to read what's going on before I read those scriptures to give me light on what's happening in those scriptures. And then I need to read the context of the scripture and also the post text. Everybody say the post text. I should not be able to make the Bible mean anything that it did not mean to the original readers and viewers that were able to read it. But many times in Christendom today, we try to make the Bible fit us and be convenient for us. And when change doesn't happen, we get confronted and we, we get mad because we say, I went to that church and it didn't change. The problem is we're not reading God's gospel. We're reading our own. 
But when we look at it in, in, in full view, when he's talking to us in Luke chapter 37 and verse 38, in context, this verse brings something to light that is often overlooked when we read it. We often translate it and use this particular principle of forgiving or apply it only to money in Luke chapter 6 and 38. But Jesus is trying to show us something much more vital. In order to understand the context, we're going to look at a little bit of the pretext. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27 through 36, it says, it lets us know that Jesus is talking about loving our enemies. As a matter of fact, they've got that up. Let's read that together. What does it say? But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Wow. We lost most Americans with that statement. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs of you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish to others, do, and as you wish that others would do to you. Do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Jesus is trying to get us something in this pretext. He is talking about loving your enemies and doing good to those who do you wrong. He expounds on us doing what is counterintuitive to human nature. Most of us looked at that scripture and when we read it, we said, that sounds good. But if you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. If you do something to me, I'm going to do something to you. If I see you tweet out something, or I see you post something, I'm not going to look the other way and pray for you. I'm going to blast you on here so everybody can see what's going on. That's how we do. But Jesus says, I want to teach you something that is counterintuitive to human nature. Your human nature will, let, will get you short-sighted because what would you consider an L could actually be a W down the road. What are you saying, Pastor? Sometimes you have to lose the game. Sometimes we have to lose by the world's standards to win by God's standards because many times we've won, but we've lost because they are short-sighted winnings. Every brother in here knows what I'm talking about who's married. You know why? Why do men run away and not argue with their wife? Because there's no way you can win an argument with your wife because if you lose, you lose, and if you win, you still lose. See my wife shaking her head. Yep, yep. yep. You see, you see, you see how, how that works? <laughs> that sometimes when we think we're winning, we're really losing. 
So sometimes we take the short-sighted version as men, don't we, guys? We don't get the picture. We want to win the battle. Win the battle, but we lose the war, and we become short-sighted. But the way to really become successful in life and in the kingdom is not to always look at the short-term, but to realize that short-term decisions have long-term ramifications. That the things that you do in the short term will affect you in the long term. Jesus is enlightening his disciples on how to live kingdom. When you live kingdom, you operate and behave differently than the world does. You have a different perspective. Affirmation is good, but it's healthy and it's healthy. But eventually you realize that when I'm doing things for God, I don't care if people affirm me. I love to be affirmed. Everybody wants to be told that they're doing a good job. For those of you who encourage me every week, don't stop encouraging me. If the message is changing your life, go ahead and tell me. I need to hear that too. I'm a human. I want your life to change. But at the end of the day we can't make that our only reason for operating we have to realize that we are doing things for the Lord and that God will give us our ultimate reward what he is saying is he said that if you give to those who do you bad it may seem like you're losing but in the long-term perspective the father is going to reward you in other words you reap what you sow But Lord, didn't you see what they did to me? I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you. They are responsible for what they did to you, but you are responsible for how you responded to them. And everybody has to reap what they sow because I set this principle God shows us into place. And he even put it in the pages of the Bible. He said, be ye not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. See, kingdom people respond differently. And Jesus is telling us that there are long-term consequences and rewards for our short-term behavior. No wonder now when it makes sense. And he's saying, he's not telling us not to judge at all. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and, he, and you should not be condemned. Uh, they're going to put that on the screens. You guys can't see it. But our first point, say, everybody say, judge not, judge condemn not. not. Now, I need to spend some time here because in our culture where we don't like to ever be corrected and we don't like correction and we cancel people who try to differ with us. The Bible is telling us something. It is not telling us to eradicate our responsibility to judge right and wrong. If that were the case, there would be no prisons. If that were the case, there would be no jail. If that were the case, everybody would ever be able to do everything that they want to do. The only way society flows and functions is because God has a standard and he has set it there. And whether you believe in him or not, there are some things inherently in you. The Bible says the invisible things in Romans that we are without excuse. You know it's wrong to murder. You know it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to kill. Before you even crack open your Bible, you know it's wrong to take things that don't belong to you. You know, you know why? Because when mama tells you, don't put your hand in the cookie jar. You don't just walk up big and bad and bold. You look to see his mama coming. If you wasn't worried about it and you knew it was right, you wouldn't care whether she was there or not. But you look and you hide in the cookie jar. Nobody has to crack open the Bible when you've been to Neiman Marcus and buying new shoes that you didn't tell your husband about. If you weren't trying to hide them, they wouldn't be hid under the bed. <laughs> 
Nobody has to tell you not to be irresponsible and buy another set of golf clubs or buy another set of hunting equipment because you're hiding it in the storage house. You're doing it. You're hiding it because you know it's wrong. Nobody has to tell us that we're doing wrong, but the Bible is not eradicating us. He is not using the scripture to eradicate our responsibility to judge right and wrong because there is a righteous judgment. And the Bible says that know ye not that we shall judge angels. There is a there is something, a belief among Christendom even now that we should just let people live any kind of way, even in the church and do anything they want to do and never say a word and let them do whatever they want to but the Bible does not teach that but what Jesus is saying here is not to necessarily not judge but he's letting us know that sometimes many times our judgment is not coming from a place of love and righteousness care or restoration when I correct my children I'm correcting them because I love them and I want to see them do better I am not correcting them to make myself feel bigger and better because I catch them in their fault that's not what they're saying there is a righteous judgment that has a place of love and compassion and righteousness and restoration and it, that place that Jesus wants us to judge from it is not coming from a perch of superiority to cover up our own insecurity if you don't believe me so I figure somebody might not so pull up Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 through 5 on, on, on the screen uh, you don't have to take my word for it I, when I was young they used to have LeVar Burton on reading rainbow and he would always say you don't have to take my word for it let's read it together what does it say Brothers, if anyone is caught in a what? Transgression. They, they had it. Let's go back. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. It's already on the, on the schedule if you go ahead and click it. There it is. Let's read this first part and then we're going to stop. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression. Now let's stop right there. If you couldn't judge whether or not what they did was right or wrong, how could they be caught in a transgression? Unless you have to judge that what you did was wrong, how would I catch you in something if your truth is subjective and it's only what it's relative? We live in a day of secular human, humanism and relativism where you can do whatever you want and you can live your own truth. You can't live your own truth. There is only one truth, the word of God. Jesus says thy word is truth. Everything else is a lie. Everything that comes contradictory to the word of God is not the truth. Well, I don't feel like it. How many times has your kids told you that you don't feel like it and you told them, I don't care? <laughs> so how do you think God feels like it when you say, I know the Bible says this, but I don't agree with it. And God is saying, I don't care. <laughs> you didn't make yourself. Your heart has been beating all this time, however many years you're over, and you have an autonomic system. Not one time have you thought heartbeat or give yourself to breathe unless somebody was cutting off your supply. I'm supplying you with that. I didn't ask what you thought was right or wrong. I tell you what's right or wrong, and then you, it's your job to what? Obey. Lord, I don't understand. I don't care. <laughs> Brother Elazar has been in the military. 
Brother Ernie has been in the military. We have some other military people that, that, that aren't here today. Sister Ward's been in the military. When you receive an order from your commanding officer, do they ever ask you how you feel about it? We become too feely in our culture to where we can't receive what God has for us because we're worried too much about people hurting our feelings. And we never grow because everybody's scared to tell us the truth. But he's saying if someone is caught in a transgression, let's see how you judge. This is righteous judgment. This is what righteous judgment is. It's, I observe something going on in your life that's not proper. Now we have some qualifications. Let's read what it says. You who are what? Spiritual. That is discriminatory. That means it's not for everybody to do. It's for those who are spiritually mature and realize that before they start talking to you about their faults, that they come to you in a spirit that says, I realize I have faults too. I'm not calling, coming to you talking about the, how I'm superior. I'm coming to you as one broken person to another, letting you know that this is less than God's standard for your life. He said, you, which are spiritual, now this is what you do. You don't kill them. You don't put them out on Facebook. You don't try to destroy their character. That's not Christianity. That's a self-righteous judgment. But righteous judgment, what's the point, purpose? It says, you who are spiritual should what? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness it's my job as, as the bible has said to to char i'm charged to rebuke and to reprove you know what that means i'm charged to tell you when you're wrong i'm tired i'm charged to encourage you but at the same time i don't do it angrily i do it with a spirit of love and encouragement hoping the best for you that you will live the best that god wants you to do. and this is important when we're doing it it says what Keep watch what on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, when I'm helping you, I keep in the back of my mind that I not only need to be working on correcting you, but I need to keep myself in check. Yes, amen. Keep going to the next, next scripture, verse 2. What does it say? Verse 2, bring that up. What does it say? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is us, it's up to us to be there for one another. When a brother's fallen or he's struggling with something, he should have somebody in the church he could go to and say, I'm looking at things on my phone I have no business looking to, and I don't want you to just come out and put my business out there, but I want you to pray for me, and I want you to hold me accountable and help me. I'm going to let you see what's on my phone or whatever the case may be because I have a burden, and I need you to help me to bear I need you to help me come out of what I am in. I need you to help me to pray for deliverance so I don't even need devices to do it. I'm just delivered and I don't even need that anymore. That's what I want. And this is something, let's keep reading. Go on down a little bit more. For if anyone thinks he is what? Something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Verse five, for each will have to bear his own load. In other words, if there was an old gospel song from where I'm from in the South, the Williams brothers used to have this song that says sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around mine. <laughs> What does that mean? That 
I am convinced that we will be less critical. Once again, we have to judge sin in the church. That's not what I'm saying. The, the sinners in the world are going to sin, but in the church we must judge it. But I'm pretty sure we will react a lot differently to it if we swept around our own front door first. That's the problem. It's because we're looking outwardly trying to change politicians. We're trying to change parties. We're trying to change socioeconomic people. We're trying to change all these celebrities. And we're always looking outwardly, looking at the news. Why? Because we look at everything jacked up in government and life in the world, and it makes us feel better about ourselves, but it also lulls us to sleep because the government is not your problem. Congress and the Senate, the president is not your problem. The people on TV or the NFL or the NBA is not your problem. The problem is in the inside of you. And you are distracted looking everywhere else instead of keeping your watch over yourself. This is important. People are, who are blind and stuck in cycles are generally hypercritical of others, which is really covering up the disappointment and bitterness they have in their own lives. They never progress because their focus is on everyone that but the one that matters, which is themselves. Hidden in plain sight. Some people's lives do not progress because they are stuck in a cycle of unforgiveness. They've been there way too long that they coddle and nestle those things and are never really true, free, truly free and receive true freedom. They're stuck in the bondage of their past pain. They are critical of others to feel good about themselves. Many believers, they stay in cycles because they do not realize that they are blind. It's easier to judge the actions of others than our own. But if we fall into this trap, neither ourselves nor the person we are trying to help will avoid calamity. Why are you saying that? Because Jesus said he didn't tell you not to judge your brother. He said, first, the problem is you blind yourself. How can the blind lead the blind if they both, they're, they're both falling into the ditch? He says, first take the note out of your eye fix what's going on on the inside of your soul Jesus said the light is the body to the eye the window to the soul what Jesus is saying why he uses eyes in this context is because he's saying there's something messing up your soul there's something messing up your perspective and your soul is messed up while you're trying to help everybody else he said take care of yourself and your soul first then you'll be able to see clearly to help others with theirs Hidden in plain sight is unforgiveness. As I begin to re read this and write this sermon, I'm going to be completely honest with you that the Lord began to deal with me. He deals with me sometimes before I ever get to Sunday. And Brother Bob, as I began to, to write this sermon and, and, and listen to what God was putting on my heart, the Lord brought up some things in my life that I thought were done and I thought were over and tears began to fall into my eyes because I realized I thought I had let some things go that I had not let go and it's easy to ignore something the further and more distant it is away and we will live with unforgiveness in our lives 
We will live with hatred and bondage in our lives. Some people don't progress because they're stuck in unforgiveness. And God wants us to get changed today. He wants us to be delivered today. I don't have two points. I only I don't have three points today. I only have two. And we're going to the second point already. I want you to take a lesson from Jonah today. Everybody said learn from Jonah. Jonah is a prophet, and when we think of Jonah, we often think of Nineveh, and we think of a wicked Nineveh. We often think of how could a fish swallow a man, because God made it so, and God can do anything he wants. I don't have to worry about that. But at the end of the day, we get to the book of Jonah, and we often focus on everybody else and how wicked Nineveh was and how much they needed God. And we make Joah, uh, and those of us who have never really read the biblical story, we make Jonah the hero, that Jonah walks out and he saves Nineveh. And that's what we learn in our Bible stories when we were kids. But when we read the word of God ourselves and pay attention to the four books, four chapters of Jonah, it tells a very different story. We need to pay more attention to Jonah. After all, it is the book which bears his name. So we want to look at Jonah and surely there were other prophets that could have been sent. I am sure that God had other prophets who probably were more articulate than Jonah. He probably had more uh, more prophets that were closer in geographical vicinity than Jonah, but for some reason, he chose to use Jonah. Why did God choose to use somebody who we know is stubborn and rebellious? Why did God choose somebody who would de determine in his heart that he would do <coughs> the exact opposite of what God commanded him to do? God knows all. He knew that Jonah would run when he told him, if it's me, you know what I do in leadership, Pastor Ernie and Brother Bob, what I do is, if I know you're going to fight me all the time, you're probably not going to be on my team. It's okay to have diverse opinions. I want you to disagree. But if you're going to fight me all the time, you're probably not going to get the pick to be on my team. <laughs> But God knows Jonah's going to do the exact opposite of what he wants, and yet he picks Jonah anyway. Why did God choose someone so stubborn and rebellious? It's because God knew Jonah needed Nineveh as much as Nineveh needed Jonah. It was not until Jonah was confronted with those for which he had disdain and hatred that he was truly confronted with the hardness of his own heart. That's why God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. Because there wasn't just a problem with Jonah. With Nineveh, there wasn't just a problem in the world. There was a problem with the pastor. Most times we look outside to judge the world, but the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. There was an issue with Jonah. Yes, the Ninevites were wicked, and Jonah hated them, and Jonah was racist. He didn't like them. Here he is, the prophet of God, with racism and hatred and disdain in his heart, hoping that God would destroy somebody, all the while preaching the word of God. And that's why Matthew 25 says, in those days, many will say, I cast out demons in your name. In your name, I did many wonders. And he will say, depart from me. I knew you not because it is very possible to be inside the church and the church not be on the inside. Hmm. 
Surely there were other prophets that could have done a better job for Jonah, but God wanted to deal with his heart. And the truth is, despite the wickedness of the Ninevites, God still wanted them to repent, but he also loved Jonah. He knew that what the Ninevites displayed proudly, Jonah was hiding on the inside. See, that's why it's important for us to preach these type of services and sermons, Brother Denny, in the church. You know why? Because church folks have learned how to look right on the outside and be wrong on the inside. We've learned how to say, praise the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. Girl, did you see what she got on? We've learned how to argue in the car all the way to church, call each other everything but a child of God, and say, hey, pastor, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. We've learned how to look right on the outside while being fake on the inside. And we never get help because we won't be honest with ourselves. And Jonah represents fake Christianity. Jonah represents other things also. But in this instance, we want to look at Jonah for somebody who is operating under the power of God, but yet still has issues on the inside. I've, I've come to give you some hope. You said, I can't come to church because I got issues. I've come to tell you that everybody that God used has issues. That's not an excuse. If God had to wait for perfect people to work, nothing would get done. Because I look at David, I see a peeping Tom. I look at Noah, I see a drunk. I look at Abraham, I see a liar and a pimp. You call Abraham a pimp? He gave away his wife for, for, for money and gain. What do you call that? God used everybody a different Wait. And he didn't wait for perfect people to do what he needs to do. God is not waiting for you to be perfect. He is waiting for you to be humble and submitted and available to what he's trying to do in your life. That's what he's waiting on. He's trying to help Noah. Not Noah, Jonah. He's trying to help him. He knew that Jonah needed the Ninevites as much as Nineveh needed him. And this is two ways that these things can be manifested in our life in a hardened heart. See, there's two ways that a hardened heart can be manifested. We're used to one, but many of us are victim to the other and we do not know it. Everybody say number one. It can be manifested in open rebellion. That's the one we're used to seeing where everybody does is whatever they're big and bad enough to do. And not only do they say that I'm, I'm going to spit in God's face, but I'm proud to do it. I live how I want. Give me a parade. Let's have a party. Let's, let's celebrate that we're living the wrong way. We see that a lot of time. That is a full-throated decision to live your best life and do what thou wilt. To completely and openly reject the commandments and the ways of God and the Bible. But there is a second one and it is much more deadly. For the first, it's easy to compare and contrast. A sinner that has casted off all restraint can see the error of their ways many times when confronted with the truth. When I minister in Detroit, a lot of the people I minister to and around, they know that there's a distinct difference between how they live and how I live. I don't smoke what they smoke, and I don't drink what they drink, and I don't go where they go, and they know that, but yet they're still humbled by the fact that I stay around them. Why? Because God loves you too, and I'm trying to minister to you, and I'm not trying to do what you're doing. I'm trying to get you out of what you're doing. As my spiritual father would say, I'm trying to love you where 
you are so I can love you out of what you're in. But here's the most dangerous one. It is the one that is not overt, but covert. Because the second option is much more covert and it lives in the secret places of our hearts. It's quiet rebellion. So I come to church. But I only do what I agree with. I come when I want to come. I talk to who I want to talk to. I give when I want to give. I live how I want to live because I'm grown. I submit when I want to submit. It's not up to God to dictate my life. I dictate my own. And you don't say that, but inside you do. How many of us have heard a word from the Lord and immediately rejected it in our hearts and said, you don't have to do that. They don't mean that. <laughs> have you ever done that? That's the most deadly. The most terrible thing could, that could, there could be is a sick person that does not know sick because it may get too far and be too late before they finally realize it. if you catch cancer early on it's easy to detect and in many cases nowadays many forms easy to get rid of but the most dangerous ones are the ones that allow you to operate and you don't even know that they're there until it's too late that's how sin is hidden in the hearts of believers Jonah chapter 3, verses 10 to 44, uh, through uh, chapter 4 and 3. I want you to see how Jonah feels. After he's run away from God, God has spit him up out of a fish, and he has to go minister to Nineveh, and Nineveh changes. This is why God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Pull that up. We're going to read this as we get ready to go. Jonah chapter 3, verses starting at verse 10. Jonah 3, 10. It should be on, on that schedule back there. Jonah 3 and 10. Going through four and three. Let's see what it says. Let's read it together. You don't have to take my word for it. Ready, read. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, wait a minute. That's my goal. As a preacher, if you tell me you're changing your life, I'll run all around this church. And if I see you doing it, I'll run around five more times. Why? Because that's the goal and the heart of a pastor for people to change. But let's see how Pastor Jonah deals with it. What does it say? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, oh, Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. That seems over the top, doesn't it? Quiet rebellion. Many that name the name of Christ have learned to operate in this mode. They have learned to look spiritual on the outside. They have learned to function in spiritual gifts and offices. But on the inside, they are in quiet rebellion. And we hear the nudge of God on our hearts pleading us to change, saying you need to forgive them. 
you need to let it go? You haven't forgiven. You haven't really forgiven. Yes, Lord, I forgave them. I forgave them because your word said to forgive them. Then why do you keep bringing it back up every time y'all have an argument? If you have to bring it up every time, you have not forgiven. If every time you and your spouse or you and your family have an argument and the first thing you do is revert back to I remember when, what that says is I have not forgiven. If you can't say amen. amen, we haven't forgiven because we keep letting what they did be an excuse for our nasty attitude and our anger and our bad behavior and our bitterness. I can't respect you because of what you did to me. You said this to me. And if you wasn't if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't treat you like that. You are responsible for your own actions. If you're nasty, it's nobody's fault but your own. If you're angry, it's nobody's fault but your own. If you're bitter, it's nobody else's fault but your own. Nobody made you bitter. The Bible says take see that no root of bitterness will sit up in you. If you're bitter, it's because you've allowed bitterness to take over your life and you decide that I choose bitter over better. And God is saying, give it to me. It's poison for your soul. But we become comfortable hating them. Marriages across the world in Christendom and, and, and just the, the normal population, they're frozen. They're in their winters. Why are they in their winters? Because people are bitter and frigid and mad at one another all the time. Holding on to stuff. That's not how God wants you to live. Not talking about your feelings and what's happening to you and not allowing your spouse to tell you the truth. They are bitter and they are hurt. Why are they bitter and they're hurt? Because every time they try to tell you what's wrong with them, you turn it around and make it about something they're not doing and you will not listen to them. And so what they do is they stop talking to you at all and they become resentful and they become hateful. And after a while, they walk right off and you say, how did, how did they walk off and leave me? How did they cheat on me? They left you six months ago they were just in the building with you they got tired of asking you to show up to church they got tired of you asking you to spend time with the kids they got tired of asking you to stop fussing to me as soon as I got in the door they got tired of asking you for firm affirmation they got tired of asking you will you stop nagging all the time they got tired of asking you would you give me a little grace and not yell at me for every mistake I made they got tired and they left but their body was in the building. In their heart, they started to rebel. And Jesus is nudging at somebody's heart this morning, saying, that's you. Even in this building, even online, that's you. You hear me talking to you. This bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and cynicism is poison for your soul. Yet we brush it away and we keep functioning without forgiving. And God is speaking to someone today saying, I don't want you to miss the mark. I don't want you to save others and still lose your soul. When he allows our boats to be rocked like he did with Jonah. I want you to be able to do what Jonah did. Jonah, when they were, he was down asleep, Jonah was the cause of all the commotion. And he was acting like he had nothing to do with it. Don't you know, we can come in church, be on the praise team, be ushers in the parking lot ministry, wave our hand, and be the source of all the, the hatred and the vitriol in our house. But yet we, don't, we won't say, I'm the problem. 
the way to heal him for Jonah was on the way to Nineveh. That's where God was trying to get him. And it wasn't until God, he said, don't throw anything else off the boat. They cast lots and they said, what's going on with you? Why did the lot fall on you? He said, because I have rebellion in my heart. Because God wanted me to save somebody I didn't want to save. God wants me to forgive somebody I didn't want to forgive. And I figured I would move heaven and earth before I went there to try to help those people. How many of you ever heard somebody say or felt in your heart, I die before I forgive them? Jonah's not so different from us, is he? But I look like I'm saved. I look like I'm godly. But my heart and my unforgiveness is hidden in plain sight. When we allow our boats to be rocked, we blame it on the devil. The devil's not in your marriage. You and your spouse are in your marriage. The problem is not that you let the devil in, but you didn't invite Jesus in. We blame it on other people, but the only way to stop the cycles is to stop really and really say it aloud. The truth is that I'm the problem. We have to get unforgiveness out of our lives. We have to forgive those who have hurt us, those spouses who have said things that cut us through our soul. And instead of telling them they hurt us, we just put it down and wrote it down for the next argument and made them a little bitter. And when they touch us, we do this a little bit. Till we start sleeping in separate rooms or the family members that we got into it at Thanksgiving. Friended them and blocked them. And when I see them, I act like I don't see them. Oh, Jesus, somebody said, how you show up for this? Yes, you did. <laughs> God knew you were coming. He made this special delivery just for us. Jesus. The truth is I'm the problem, and we need to forgive. Why? Because this is what I figured out, Brother Bob. If there's no hope for Nineveh, then there's no hope for Jonah. Because we're all in the same boat. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if there's no forgiveness for them, that means there will be none available for you. Jesus even said, if you don't forgive men their sins, your father would not forgive you. We need to be like Jonah in Jonah 1 and 12. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Somebody's listening to me right now. Online or in this building. And the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart. Don't go to lunch. Don't go to dinner. Go home. Go with your spouse. Open up the door. Close it. Get the kids out of the way and say, you know what? It's not you. It's me. It's my heart. It's my lack of attention. It's me not growing up. It's me always trying to get the last word. Somebody needs to pick up the phone and call a loved one that you haven't spoken to in years and say, yes, you hurt me, but I was responsible to love those who persecuted me and pray for those and love my enemies. And I didn't do my part. 
That doesn't mean you put yourself within people who are unhealthy and give a cycle of abuse. But you can't hold unforgiveness in your heart because unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. This is the cycle that God wants to break today. My prayer for us today as we get ready to close is that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance areas in our life where we are not truly free. The things that are hiding in plain sight. That today we face those hidden areas that are being exposed. As they are being exposed, may we give it to God. May we release anger and hurt and bitterness. May we be free from trying to sneaky get back at people and being sneaky passive aggressive. May we not focus on a world that needs to repent and turn to God before we say, I need to be saved from some things myself. I need him just as much as Nineveh needs him. Is there anybody in here who can be transparent? Like you see me weeping right now is how I was weeping in my hotel as I began to write this because there are people that have hurt me in my life and I have to realize something. I need him just as much as they need him. How many of you have been blaming people in your life for the places and spaces you are giving other people control of your happiness when the truth of the matter is it wasn't them making you unhappy. You refused to give it to God and he had already told you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we begin to be quiet today and we get ready to finish the broadcast after this, I, I want to ask you a question before they shut the broadcast down. What is hiding in your heart? What is hiding in plain sight to keep you from living to the best that God has for you? When you have the answer to that question, these altars are open for you. You can come here and pray and say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not going to take it back. Today is the end of our, our prayer and fasting season, 21 days of fasting and prayer. I pray that God has shown you some things during that fast, whether you kept the whole apart to help you be closer to him. Is there anybody else that says, I need him too? Not just the people that I'm looking at, not just the world, not just socioeconomic groups, not just other people, not just Democrats or Republicans or whatever the case may be, not all the other people that I blame for the ills in the life, not rich people, not poor people. I need him too. Yeah. It's not my parents' fault, it's my fault. It's not my child's fault, it's my fault. I need him and I have neglected my soul. As they play, the altar is open for you. I'm going to begin to pray, and then we're going to allow you all to come to the altar. God, I pray in this place and space that the enemy not steal this seed, that somebody will hear something today that has impacted their life, and they will not just be motivated, God, to do something, but they will do something and become elevated from the choices that they do, God, because life is a series of decisions, and our decisions denote our direction, and if not diverted, our decisions will determine our destiny. I pray today that these that hear the sound of my voice online and in this building will make destiny decisions to follow you and to be free 
from the things that they're bound by. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Prayer team, you can come up. You guys can cut the feet. Brother Bob, Robin, Pastor.